Hey everybody, this is Michael, uh, doing kind of a cold open right here because I realized I made a factual error in this podcast. I said that American Beauty was nominated for Best Cinematography. That is true, it was nominated, but it also won, and I neglected to mention that, and I don't want any allegations of unfairness to the pro-American Beauty lobby uh, going out there because... You know, I try to be fair, but facts are facts. It's just not a very good movie. But you'll find out why if you don't know already later in this episode. So, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and hope you enjoy. Is this the real life? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. Challenge? What? What? What's up, Mike? Not much, <laughs> Lars. I'm Mike Levito. I'm the host. So is Lars Emerson, my roommate. That's me. So is Kathleen Levito, my sister. Hi. So is Dakota. What's Dakota's last name? Emerson. Emerson. Dakota Jesus. Emerson. I didn't know if she kept. If you wanted her to like keep her heritage and her original <laughs> last name, is Lars's cat. Who right before it, we we recorded, jumped on his lap and dug her claws into him. So uh, she has opinions. Adorable. She does. She's very opinionated. She watched the movies with us. It's okay. She did. Um... And now she's walking right towards the mic. Um, yeah, we watched movies. The year was 1999. It was the year the United States gave the Panama Canal back to Panama. Boo. It was the year Pokemon Fever gripped the United States. And it was also the year these five movies were released for Best Picture. It was kind of a weird year. So those movies were American Beauty, The Cider House Rules, Green Mile, The Insider, and The Sixth sense sith the a lot sith of those there a lot of those uh so we're going to talk about them we usually do that alphabetically but uh i think we've got a debate building we do and year. and i think just for the flow of the podcast it, I, i've strategically placed some of these movies you're playing um, god michael <laughs> i know i know um but we're going to start with the cider house rules um which was directed by lassa hallstrom uh, screenplays by John Irving, who based it off his own book, and stars Tobey Maguire, Charlize Theron, Paul Rudd, Delroy Lindo, Michael Caine, Jane Alexander, Kathy Baker, Kieran Culkin, Heavy D, Kate Nelligan, and Erica Badu. Heavy D's in this? Sure is. I don't remember um, So is Erica Badu. That's two musicians. Um, so, Sir House Rules is about Tobey Maguire, and he grows up in an orphanage, and he's raised by Michael Caine, who is the doctor at the orphanage, who both delivers children and performs abortions. And Tobey Maguire is sort of being trained as his apprentice. Um, <laughs> you could say he giveth and he taketh away. You certainly could. Um, <laughs> too much? Too much too soon? <laughs> and so he, uh, he, he has some, some hang-ups about performing abortions. He's not, not a big fan of it. Um, what happens one day is this couple comes, and uh, played by Paul Rudd and Charlize Theron, and... Ageless, Paul. Yes, ageless, Paul. And, ageless. and ageless Shirley's Theron. Right. And ageless Tobey Maguire. And Michael Caine. Well, I feel like he's just always been, like, 80. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Aged. And so, well, basically, um, she ends up having an abortion. Tobey Maguire's like, where are y'all headed? And they're like, some poor town in Maine, because they live in Maine. And he's like, yeah, I'll come with. Because um, he's, like, really never been outside the grounds of the orphanage. He's never seen a lobster before. Never seen a lobster, never seen the ocean. And so he goes, he strikes up a friendship, um, Paul Rudd goes off to war, um, Tobey Maguire starts up a thing with, 
Um, Charlie's Theron. He gets a job as a apple picker at her family's orchard, and he just kind of learns about life and love, um, and the it's, cider house rules. Isn't it Paul Rudd's family's orchard? Yes, yes, it is Paul Rudd's yes. family's orchard, which will eventually be. Are they engaged? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think. Um, it's been a while. They're yeah. like it's like a good assumed character together forever. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. they're properly engaged, but. They're, 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 uh, Paul Rudd is courting Shirley's Yes. Down. We got our um, prayers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose he's doing a bit more than courting S&T. Um, Lars, what did you think of this movie? I like this movie. So I think I, I was the only one of us that's seen it before, yes. right? Um, we watched this in health class in high school. <laughs> Which is weird. It's, I kind of got it. It's weird. It's a liberal, you know, bolder health class. It's like abortions, they're cool. You should get one. Um, um, I, I, like, I like this movie. I think it has some very good moments. It also has some very, like, dark moments. The last, like, I feel like the film does take quite a turn in the last, not third act, but, like, the fifth act out of five. Um, there's, like... It's not that long. <laughs> there's quite a plot twist in the last, like, yeah. No, yeah. half hour sure. of the movie. I can, I'm just good. So he's living in the cider house, and like the cider house. Oh! Yeah, right? I just yeah, what the cider house was. Oh. I, I, just, I just learned what the cider house rules are. Oh. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> for those of us. The orphanage was the cider house. <laughs> <laughs> so the part where there was a list of rules taped to a cider yeah. house, they were like, oh. I don't know what this is. <laughs> Why do they call it that? I don't know. Um, so the like of all the like workers at the cider house, they're all they're all African American except Toby Maguire, um, and like the the like father figure of the house, who's like the oldest gentleman and sort of watches over all of them, and he has a daughter at the house, and it's like in the last like fifth of the movie, everyone comes back from the. Uh, off season yeah. to come harvest the apples and like the daughter is pregnant and there's like what happened who got you pregnant and there's like assumptions that it's this one like bad apple ha 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 <laughs> uh, but it was actually her father so Toby Maguire like has to like give up his moral dilemmas about performing an abortion and like give her an abortion so that she can like live a full life and but it's like it gets very dark in that last yeah. like yeah. twenty to thirty minutes. Yeah, then like he kills himself. Yeah, yeah, no, he doesn't kill himself. He gets stabbed by his daughter. Yeah, but he has Toby Maguire. He asks Toby Maguire to say nice things about him or whatever. No, yeah. So what happens is that he doesn't he like twist the knife or something? Doesn't he make it worse? I don't know. Basically, the abortion is performed, and the next day they find the father in his bed bleeding to death, and basically um, his daughter ran away and stabbed him, and he was just like, tell... Out of self-defense, just... Out of self-defense, yes. And, um... What the hell, Dakota? And then, um... He was like, tell, tell everybody that I killed myself because my daughter ran away. Uh, yes, and at the end, Toby Maguire returns to the 
orphanage and takes up the Michael Caine role because he's died. Yes. And he overcomes his hang-ups about abortions because he learned a lesson. Good for him. Good for him. Well, now my question is, how are the cider house rules, like, relevant? Exactly! That's what I'm like, it's like... I don't remember what the rules are, but it's they are all relevant. On, it's don't I, go on the roof. Don't smoke in bed. Don't smoke in bed. Don't operate the, the press if you're drunk. Yeah. Um, that's all I remember. These are all great rules. They're all very common sense. <laughs> I don't see why you guys have a problem. You can go on the roof if you want. That's a little silly. Well, I think maybe it was don't go on the roof if you're drunk. Because that made sense to me because you could fall. No, I think it's just, just general. don't eat on the roof. Yeah. Also, I think it was don't eat in the, in the, in the like, the bunk shed. either. Yeah, I don't which makes Literally. sense because that attracts mice. <laughs> Don't go on the roof. I think it's good because you could fall off the roof. Yeah. Like, these seem like reasonable rules. <laughs> They're just right. not really relevant to the whole movie. Right. I think the fact that we're talking about the rules like this kind of tells you everything you need to know about the movie because it is so, like, this movie is so immaterial to me. Like, I really cannot give less of a shit about this movie. Okay. Oh, I disagree. Okay. There's going to be a lot of disagreements this year. Yeah. Okay. I didn't... I don't think I feel as strongly about the movie as either Michael or Lars. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't feel... Uh, my point I, I'm not going to die on a hill for this film. I just don't <laughs> think it's a bad movie. I, I think it's an objectively I, fine, great, it's a, good movie. Oh, great good. A, great good. It's a good great. It's a four star for me. It's like three. Yeah, I think it's a solid three. You guys this is like a solid wrong. This is the definition of like a three star movie. Yeah. Um, I just... I also have trouble... I think my main issue is I have trouble with, like, naive characters. Um, and I think Toby McGuire's character has a lot of naivety in him. Uh, especially if Lars started to say something and I just... No, continue, him. but then I have something to add. Um, especially, I mean, like, and, and it makes sense because he has been... He's never left the grounds of an orphanage where they do abortions, which is really also fucked up. Um... But um, I just like his romance with Charlize Theron. I think was underdeveloped and just dumb. Yeah, and weird. Can we talk about the scene where he runs up and just hugs her from the back for like thirty straight seconds? Yeah. And just kind of like dead eye. So uncomfortable. <laughs> it like it does literally look like a a kid who has never like you know. Heard of sex. Right. A yeah. kid who was raised in, like, a Christian orphanage yeah. his entire life and never left. Like, it, it's, like, it's, it's, it's sort of disturbing. It's kind of disturbing. <laughs> it, but also... I'm sorry. I don't want to get too much into it. <laughs> the part that really bothers me is that, like, so he leaves and Charlize Theron obviously goes back to loving Paul Rudd, who comes back crippled from the war. You know, Charlize Theron at the beginning of their, like, whirlwind romance tells him, like, I'm not good at being alone. I also can't stand characters like that. But, um, you know, Tobey Maguire is not hurt at all by the fact that they are, like, broken up or whatever. She goes back to loving Paul. He's like, it doesn't disturb him at all on any level. It doesn't upset him at all. He's just like, well, you told me that you weren't good at being alone. So, you know, what was I going to expect? He's a very understanding man. He makes no assumptions. But I feel like that makes him uninteresting. Yeah. I my, my whole thing with this movie is that, like, I don't... So it's based on a book. I feel like I the book... I could see the book as being, like, good. And I feel like you need, like, a novel length to kind of tell a story like this about, like, someone venturing out into an unfamiliar place and learning a lot. I just don't think... 
he learns. I just don't know what he learns. I don't know he what. How to have sex. Yeah, he learns that, well, and like he overcomes his hangups about performing abortions. Yeah, but like, I but, get, but like, but like I, I want to turn this that, into an abortion debate. Uh, that Hold wasn't on. like a growing. That yeah. wasn't a growing thing. It was just like, oh, I get it. Now. Oh, oh, I disagree. I think it. Well, I think that's the most interesting part of the movie is his is the, his like development morally. Is he goes from like being literally raised by an abortion performing doctor who like does the right thing mm-hmm. but like Toby Maguire's like I could never do this to like realizing the actual realities of life and it's like a it becomes like a hippocratic oath at the end it's like there is literally no one to help this girl and her life is going to be ruined and Toby Maguire ha- like finally realizes why Michael Caine does this like out of his own goodness as opposed to being like forced into doing it so I get that, but like I don't understand why everything else had to happen. <laughs> like I don't, I don't understand how that like connects with like his 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 fling. <laughs> yes, his, yes. His, sorry, the code just startled everyone. His fling with Charlize Theron. I don't understand how it, how how it, how it how it goes with his working at the orchard. I don't understand. You know, I just, I just like don't plot get points it. to getting to that. Is how yeah. I view this movie. I, I just think it, it, it's just not as. It's just not. I, I just he needs to like do just. I feel like nothing like I don't know. Nothing like happened. There's yeah. no like climax. I mean that ah, there is when he like performs the abortion. But like yeah. that's the only like. There's no other like moment of like whoa, which is. Yeah, which is why I think that's the most interesting, like, plot to follow. It's like, you you gotta kind of treat, like, everything else like it's a... Foil? No. No, like it's a... <laughs> um, um, Red herring? Like, what, like... Sort of. Like, more of, like, it's a journey, but it's not, like, the point. Because it's like, he's going on it. It's like the second Lord of the Rings film. Is like most of that stuff. Yeah, it's like it's not about that. It's about the journey, <laughs> not the destination. I mean, I get, but I see. I, I guess this thing. I don't. I don't think there's enough of it. There's not enough of a journey. There's for not me. enough of a journey. Like it, it's an unsatisfying coming of age story because like he literally goes from living on one estate to living on another estate and never leaving it. Like, but he learns how to hug women from the back. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't have, like, a lot more to add. I just... I, I genu I generally think it's a fine. Yeah. I, it, I don't know. To me, it's just, like... It's just, like, it's sort of, like... They looked at the form and they are like, we need something sort of nostalgic, sort of, like, sentimental, and they just kind of, like, clopped that together without actually putting, like, anything interesting. And we haven't even touched on, like, what went on at... Not the cider house, the orphanage. Right. When Tommy Wire was at the cider house, because like kids die, and Michael Caine has an opium addiction, and ether, ether, yeah, uh, whatever. He has an addiction. Smoke weed every day. Um. <laughs> so there's just like a lot that happens in this movie, yeah. but like nothing really. And that's why, but it's like, I, I can see those things making more sense over the course of a novel. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like it's you like, need... Sorry, it's like what I said with the, the, thin, le- the thin red line. Yeah. 
It would be a, probably a really cool novel. Yeah. It just it's it's not not there's just not enough like I it's just I don't know to me it's just a movie that I feel absolutely like nothing about, yeah. aside from how mediocre it is. It's a movie I subjectively enjoy. It's not one I will ever die in hell for. Yeah, no. I'm fine with. I I think it's fine. Like I don't think it's a bad movie. I will. It's not bad. I just. If you think it's okay, that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I like I, other movies this year where you guys are wrong. <laughs> I, yeah, I would, I would never be like, "Oh, this is a bad movie." I just, yeah, it's just, it's completely uninteresting. To me. Yeah, it's like, yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I just happen to think it's better. I got more enjoyment out of it. Yes, I'm fun, and you guys are. Maybe you just like Toby Mulcahy. You guys like are being Toby real Moore. Brett Kavanaugh's about this movie. I don't think that's no, what it no, means no, that. no. We're not lying about our drinking habits. But you hate it. <laughs> you... <laughs> Um, it was nominated for Best Art Direction, Original Score, Editing, and One Adapted Screenplay. Michael Caine won Best Supporting Actor. Um, <laughs> a lot of work that was. Yeah, he, he, he beat his FR mask. For yeah. um, Lassa Hallstrom was nominated for Best Director, and of course was nominated for Best Picture. Um, let's move on to The Green Mile. The Green Mile. The Green Mile. Directed by Frank Darabont, who I think is the first repeat director we've had so far. He also directed Shawshank Redemption. Oh, um, oh that makes sense. Yeah. Another yeah. very Shawshank. Yeah. yeah, it's all, it's it's a Stephen King story yeah. that takes place out of prison. Also, <laughs> it's the Shawshank Redemption of Stephen King story. Yeah. What? Yeah. Didn't we talk about that in the episode? I, I don't know if we did. <laughs> Frank Darabont also wrote the movie. Um, it's based on a Stephen King book, like we said. It stars Tom Hanks, David Morris, Bonnie Hunt, Michael Clark, Duncan James Cromwell, Michael Jeter, Graham Greene, Doug Hutchison, Sam Rockall, Barry Pepper, Jeffrey DeMunn, Patricia Clarkson, Harry Dean Stanton. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so it is about Paul Edgecombe, played by Tom Hanks. He is a prison guard in Louisiana. Um, he's They call it the Green Mile instead of the Long Mile. He works on death row. Um, and one day they get this just massive, massive, massive dude who's been convicted of murdering two young girls. Swole uh, as fuck. Yes. Um, and you know, he, he see, but he's kind of like a gentle giant type. So like, what's really going yes. on? And, uh, Tom Hanks is having some trouble, um, urinating. <laughs> he has like a it's bladder a theme infection. in this film. Yeah. And he, um, one day <laughs> this guy kind of is like, I need to talk to you. And like, sure. And he grabs him by the crotch. <laughs> and <laughs> all of a sudden, Tom Hanks can pee all right. After quite a groping, man. After quite a... Yeah, he grabs onto him for a really long time. And then... And starts ma- making noises. And, ex- and exhales flies. Yeah. Um, I think it's like dust, but it looks like flies. I, I this is a very that. hard movie to explain <laughs> to other people. You kind of... Um, <laughs> And so then Tom Hanks is kind of like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and they I can pee again. And they try to sort of basically figure out other um, applications of his gifts. And they, they, he and the other guards sort of like bond with him. And um, there's lots of like politics among the guards. And uh, One of them is real POS. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's the best way to describe that movie in a nutshell. Kathleen, what do you think? I like this movie, I think. I did not know it was a Stephen King situation. So um, I like looked up the movie because I couldn't remember its name. And I just briefly looked at the, the poster, which just has Tom Hanks staring out into <laughs> the wild blue open. So, and like in that color scheme, that's usually assigned to like the 30s and 40s. 
So I just assumed it was Tom Hanks in another war movie. So when I learned it was Tom Hanks in a prison, I was like, oh, this is a nice change of pace. And then when he was grabbed by the crotch, I was like, what the hell is going on here? And then when he breathed out flies, I was like, the fuck? Um, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I think it was, it's three hours long. Doesn't need to be three hours long. It's a lot of, like, little moments of Stephen Kingness, and then a lot of just, like, getting to moments of Stephen Kingness that I think could have been cut down and wouldn't have hurt the movie at all. Like, it's a lot of people being awful, mm-hmm. um, and I think, like, we get it in the first hour that, like, who the awful characters are, so I think some of their awfulness could have been shaved down. But overall, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I like this movie, I think. Um, it... So I feel like sort of like sentimentality has been a big theme of like these 90s movies. And I feel like this is sort of like, you can tell in 1999 it's when sentimentality begins to sort of break down. And I feel like this is part of that where it's just like, it's kind of a nostalgic movie. It's pretty sentimental, like the Cider House rules, but it's also just kind of batshit insane. Um, And I kind of appreciate that. And I kind of appreciate how like insane it is. Um, and it's definitely a very sort of disturbing and affecting movie um, because you're watching men who are men who like their job is to deal out death to convicted murderers most of the time and but they kind of end up forming bonds with these people because they have to watch them every day but they also have to flip the switch that kills them and so watching that's kind of and there's there's a lot of stuff about like mortality and death and um, all of that so it it's a little languorous. Like, I feel like even though it was three hours, like, not, not like, enough happens to justify it being three hours. But I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like this film really reaches its, like, best moments in the last hour. Yeah. Which is, like, unfortunate because it, it's a bit slow. To, like, what, like an hour in... If you're Kathleen, you find out that there's magic. <laughs> and it's like, but like, even as someone who like knew that that was going to happen, there was a point where I was just like, "This is weird." It's been like an hour and like nothing has happened. Yeah, um, we watched uh, <laughs> Tom Hanks sweat. <laughs> and pee a lot. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of pee in this. Movie. There is. So there's a whole pee thing going on. <laughs> there's a very. It's a very. I, I kind of had a. a I, I used this word when we watched it last night. A very visceral reaction. Yeah, so no, it's like the yeah. most visceral reaction I've had to any of the films we've watched. Is it actually like, like genuinely kind of like disturbed me? At no, times? me too. Yeah, sure. And I yeah. like none of the other films have really done that. Like, I it, it's like there's this like, it's like this raw like, like terrible like like criminal masculinity mm-hmm. like in both like the one really bad guard and in um not Justin Hammer um, Sam Rockwell Sam Rockwell's character um is like oh it was like almost difficult to like watch Sam Rock- Rockwell at points because he was just so like disgust like so like uh disgusting to watch mm-hmm. um that was a new feeling for me in these mo- in this like venture. I did yeah. not expect that from this movie. I also think this is like it's a good take on like the death penalty. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, um, system's not perfect. 
Also, probably stop using the electric chair. It seems like yeah. a really dumb way to kill people. Um, yeah, it took a while. Yeah. <laughs> and you can apparently fuck it up real bad. Yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 there's, like, parts, like, there are parts, like, the whole, like, fact that Michael Clark Duncan's just a dude who grabs people by the crotch and then breathes out flies. And, like, that scene where, so one of the characters, his name is Percy, and he's supposed to be, like, the nephew of the governor of Louisiana, um, and he has this job because of his connections, and he's just, like, a, a dick to everybody. He's terrible, uh, and he never learns his lesson. And they never explain why. He just really gets off on, you know, punishing these people who are already in prison. Um, and he... To, running off the pee theme, he, he gets so scared because Samuel grabs him, and then he pees his pants... And then this one inmate makes fun of him for it. So to punish this one inmate, uh, when they execute them, they put a wet sponge on their head so that the electric current just goes straight to their brain. He does not let the sponge, which means it's much more painful and uh, drawn out death. And really, it's interesting because you don't really see his skin blow up or anything because he's got a hood on. But, like, you know, you see him yelling and there's, like, blue fire and all that. And people are, like, trying to get out. It actually kind of reminded me of, like, a David Lynch movie in a way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was almost, like... David Lynch does, like, forced Gump in a way. It was, yeah. like, really... there, But I found that, like, appealing. And I, I, I found, I like, found the fact that it sort of, like, lulls you in with this sort of, like, you know, homespun southern setting and then ends up giving you this really, like, freaky stuff. I... I, I, that I, I you would like that. I kind of I kinda, I kinda <laughs> liked that sort of, like, Trojan horse element of it. Yeah, the yeah. second one I learned it was the Stephen King thing when he started breathing out the flies, I was like... I my immediate thought was David Lynch. Yeah, it felt very like um, felt very Twin Peaks season three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I also think it's very funny. You know, um, the quote unquote magical Negro is a trope um, in movies where it's hmm. like um, it's, it's usually just some kind of like you know old, older African American gentleman who just like doles out wisdom to the white hero or whatever. And there is literally just a magical black man in this movie. Yeah, um, and so I think that's kind of an interesting deconstruction, I guess, of like a trope of of these sort of like nostalgic stories. I feel like the worst part of this movie is when Tom Hanks is real old. Yeah, he's no, like, I'm going to be old forever till I die. Yeah. He's like, that's how it works, Tom Hanks. <laughs> God damn. So the, yeah, there's a framing device in this movie, and it begins with what you find out Tom Hanks' character at this like uh, at, at an old folks' home. And he gets really upset because they're watching the movie Top Hat on TV. Which, by the way, is such a good movie. Everybody go watch it. Tom, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Also, like, the Best Picture nominee in the 30s. Um, <laughs> and Tom Hanks begins telling this woman the story. And she's like, wait a minute. It's like 1999. How are you 44 in 1935? And he's like, well, um, you know, my old heart gave me some of his powers. and um, I don't know when I'm going to die. But, like, I'm... <laughs> Cursed with eternal life to watch everyone I love die. And the, the, that's also what I kind of find interesting is, is this sort of, in a way, it's a movie about sort of the fragility of life and the preciousness of life, but there are also characters who pretty who pretty openly want to die. Like, um... Yeah, Michael Clark Duncan. Like part of his powers is sort of like he has like empathetic powers, so he can like see in people's minds and stuff. And he's like, I've seen like way too much evil, and I don't want to see it anymore. So even when, you know, they do realize that he's innocent, um, he's like 
I don't care, take me away, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. And Tom Hanks is just kind of like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's just kind of me and, me and this mouse that, that he kept alive um, are the only ones left. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's, yeah, I liked it. Um, it. It wasn't nominated for very much, it was, and it didn't win anything. It was nominated I, for, what? I, I would play that in health class, got kidney yeah. infection. Yeah, urinary, yeah. Urinary <laughs> Yeah, it was nominated for Best Sound, Best Adapted Screenplay. Michael Clark Duncan was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and it was nominated for Best Picture. Next we have The Insider, directed by Michael Mann, written by Eric Roth Michael Mann, based on an article in Vanity Fair, starring Al Pacino. Yes, Lars? This was fun, based on an article in Vanity Fair. <laughs> it was. Um, starring Al Pacino, Russell Crowe, Christopher Plummer, Diane Venora, Philip Baker Hall, Lindsay Krause, and Debbie Mazar. Um, it is about a man named Jeffrey Wiggins who works for B and W, not BMW. That threw me for a loop a couple times. <laughs> Brown and Williamson, a tobacco manufacturer in the R&D department, and he gets fired. And, um, he ends up hooking up with Apicino's character, whose name is Lowell Bergman, um, who's a producer on 60 Minutes. And he's like, I... The initial hire him as a consultant on a story about uh, tobacco. And then eventually... He's like, I want to come forward. I, I, I'm going to blow a whistle. And he blows a whistle about how they are intentionally making tobacco more addictive and not trying to make it safer for people to smoke. And he gets a lot of death threats and stuff. And then when they do finally produce the segment, uh, CBS is very skittish to broadcast it because they don't want to get sued. Um, and it's kind of about their fight to at once get Russell Crowe to do the interview and then get it on the air. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. (laughs) Uh, um, I feel like the first half of this movie is very boring. It's really just about papers. And you're just like, but the papers, they're secret. I love a good papers movie. And everyone's like, but the papers, oh no, the affidavit, this, whoa, papers. <laughs> I don't even remember my letterbox review, but it's about that. It's literally... <laughs> it's about documents yes. the movie. It's really just documents <laughs> the movie for the first half of the movie. And then it's like, the second half is actually good, and it's like, testimony, the movie. And that's good. I like the second half. Uh, This is like, I started paying attention more in the second half, because it got way more interesting, because it wasn't Mm -hmm. about fucking papers. Um, Al Pacino's weird in this. (laughs) He just looks very out of place. He looks very vampiric. He does. (laughs) It's like, why is he, he shouldn't be in this role. It's a very weird role for him. Um, I think Russell Crowe's actually really good. No, he, he, he's yeah. Really um, this, like, the Russell Crowe's, like, the consequences of, like, truth mm-hmm. is where I think this movie shines, but it takes, like, way too long to, like, get there. Get there, and once it gets, it, like, it both takes way too long, but it also just is too long. Yeah. If yeah. this movie were, like, an hour shorter, then this would be, like, a great movie. I feel like every car ride was in real time in this movie. <laughs> like, there are, like, two or three scenes of people driving somewhere, and it feels like you're there for the entire car ride. It drags stuff out. I, I, yeah. I do feel like there's a lot... This movie could be re-edited to just be, like, a lot more memorable. Yeah. And better. Yes. I, I think it's good. I do think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but like it gets like great in the last like third. Yeah. And I, I just I wish it was great the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have virtually nothing to say about this movie. <laughs> this was is my least favorite type of movie. I don't care about your papers. All they do is whisper and sit in dark rooms. And I do not remember any of it because I found none of it memorable. So I'm not like mad at it because I'm sure it's a good movie for those people who like movies like that. But I just, I just really don't. So it's like for me, it just was nothing. Not because I don't think it's a good movie, but because like I didn't, like I spaced out because there was nothing to help, like help me keep attention. Yeah. So I, I kind of hated the way this movie looked. <laughs> it is a very shaky cam. It's at, like, weird angles, like, right in people's faces and right on people's hands. It's sort of like this weird handheld thing. The lighting is very ugly and dark. Um, it it just is, like, not an attractive-looking movie. Um, I just, like... I feel like our father would really like this movie. <laughs> and it's just, like... He's in, like... Because it's all, like... Law-y and like, yeah, you know, and he I'm also just, really like sixty minutes. Yeah, he also, <laughs> he really it's like his favorite TV show. It is. It's a great show. You grew up watching that yeah. every Sunday, and it's like because of that, I was just kind of like, oh, God, I, I sat through this before. I don't need this again. So yeah, and I don't know. It's weird. So on, on the one, I, I feel like yeah, there's just way too much window dressing that drags it out. Like you didn't really need the intro to. Um, Lowell Bergen and Mike Wallace where they go to interview like the head of Hezbollah. Right! It was completely unnecessary. It lost, that lost interest for me. And so it took like 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. It, 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 it's very strange. Um, and I, a lot of this stuff with like Russell Crowe who I think is really good in this movie like he, a lot of the stuff of like his wife being scared. Whoever played his wife by the way had a terrible southern accent but like a lot of it, it <laughs> yes, <laughs> God, I almost choked. Um, I was chewing gum. Uh, Or trying to, at least. He might not make it through the rest of this podcast. Um, I forgot how gum works. (laughs) (laughs) Thought you just let him melt on your tongue. Um, I just think it needed more of, like, what actually happened and a little bit less of, like, Russell Crowe being depressed. Um... Like, because I, I, I actually ended up watching the, um, I actually ended up watching the 60 minute segment out of curiosity. Um, <coughs> and it's like, they don't like, like the, uh, the head of CBS's son, like, worked for, like, some tobacco company. That's another reason why they want to, like, put the kibosh on the story. Like, uh, I feel like it needed more of that. It needed more <coughs> of, like, I needed more of, like, the interview. Like, I needed more of, like, Mike yeah, Wallace yeah. trying to track down. Like, the tobacco company, because, like, he interviews, like, a lawyer from the tobacco company in real life. Like, I needed more of that. I needed more of, like, sort of, like, the... the inv- I needed more of, like, the actual investigative journalism part. And less of the, like, oh, I'm Russell Crowe. I don't know if I want to do this. This is kind of a big risk. Uh. That's, like, literally every time I looked at the screen. So I don't know what else I was looking at, but it was not the screen. I just felt like it was the same scene of him being, like, oh, I don't know what I should do, man. Yeah. It's so hard. And then, did they actually ever air the interview? Yes, they yeah. did. Okay. Because yeah. I remember looking up at one point, and they're like, well, we had this interview, but we're not going to, like, actually air it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So they, they originally edited an edited version of it that okay. did not actually have Jeffrey Wigand in it. And then they... 
edit send out the full one because people were like you are and that, that's basically the whole like last half of the movie is Al Pacino sort of like pulling the strings to get like the Wall Street Journal to publish stuff saying like hey you should have really done this you really should have broadcast that and I actually didn't I only found the sort of politics of CBS so engrossing I guess I need I need more of like a spotlight kind of movie yeah. I think would engross me more exhausting real fast yeah and also just, like, just a weird little, like, this, the score was really weird. Like, yeah. sometimes it would be, like, acoustic guitar, and then it turned to, like, opera. And then it would turn into, like, this weird, like, booty saxophone. Um, and then, like, and when Al Pacino, like, <laughs> this movie basically ends with Al Pacino doing, like, the uh, the Judd Nelson thing at the end of Breakfast Club where he pumps his fist. Because <laughs> he ends up quitting CBS because of, like, the controversy. Just him, like, leaving the revolving doors, like, trip-hop plays behind him. Uh, I just this movie it felt like it was trying to be more like serious and profound than it actually ended up being it just it was so like low key in its emotion that it never really gripped me the way I wanted to be gripped <laughs> there are like, but yeah but there are like John there are scenes in this no, that I think are amazing yeah um, like the courtroom or yeah the courtroom sort of stuff was yeah like, I think it's really like Where, the depositions. Are really yeah, good. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and when, when he's actually doing the interview, I, yeah. I think it needed a lot more of that. Yeah, um, I loved when the guy was like, because they file some injunction basically in Kentucky to try and get him to stop from talking, but he goes to Mississippi because the Attorney General of Mississippi is suing Big Tobacco, and um, there's a whole thing, and there's a lawyer from Kentucky there, and a guy like an attorney from Mississippi. And then the Kentucky guy keeps objecting, and Mississippi guy goes, "This is the sovereign state of Mississippi." And I'm like, "This is the first time that's like been invoked when something in te- terribly racist isn't happening." Um, but no, that that's like a great scene. Um, yeah. And so it's just the scene where he, where he's just like actually sitting in the uh, the chair and talking about like, yeah, cumin and it's a bad thing. Um, mm. Yeah, I just I I think I I, I needed big tobacco needed a bigger presence in this movie. Um, they need to be more of like a villain. Dumbledore's um, big tobacco. Yeah. What? <laughs> D- Dumbledore. Oh yeah, like Michael, Michael Gannon plays the CEO of Brown Williams. Sexy Man. Dumbledore, not old Dumbledore. <laughs> not Richard Harris. Uh, no... Harry. <laughs> it's our choices, not our abilities. Um, alas, earwax. <laughs> um, nominated for <laughs> best. <laughs> Nominated for Best Sound, Best Editing, Best Cinematography, which, ew. Um, adapted Screenplay, Russell Crowe, nominated for Best Actor, Michael Mann for Best Director, and Best Picture. Next, but from the greatest director of all time, it's The Sixth Sense. What a twist. Directed by M. Night Shyamalan, written by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis, Tony Collette, Olivia Williams, and Haley Joel Osment. Bruce Willis is in... Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, Bruce Willis plays a child psychiatrist in Philadelphia. Or does he? Mm. <laughs> he does. No, he does. Um, <laughs> he uh, meets this child um, and is treating this child who's having issues at school and um, very withdrawn and very scared, trying to figure out what happens. It turns out the kid can see dead people. And they don't know they're dead. Um, and so they try to figure out how to deal with that. <laughs> Kathleen, you had never seen this movie before. I never. So let me tell you my experience of watching this movie. So, of course, as most people, I was told about the twist 
Can I reveal the twist? Yeah, let's yeah, say the entire one, world knows two, the twist. Three. Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis is, is alive dead. and the kid is dead. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I had obviously been told that before, but I misremembered it and I thought the kid was dead. So I was, but then the Michael and Lars told me there was another twist because they thought I was stupid. And um, I so I was stupid. We just I was just impressed. <laughs> yeah, like it's hard to be on the internet for a day and not have someone mention the twist. But I literally just said the wrong twist, and you guys didn't react to that. Um, but. I so I went through the entire movie like so excited because I was like yes I'm like watching this movie the way it was meant to be watched like I'm <laughs> gonna find out the twist what I'm supposed to find out and I'm slowly piecing together like oh my god Bruce Willis is dead and I think I say out loud like oh I bet he's dead too I bet he's dead too and then about like two thirds of the way through the movie I realized that I remembered it wrong and that the kid wasn't dead but Bruce Willis was but for some reason I still thought there was a second twist. So I continued to watch the movie like, what's the twist going to be? What's the twist? And of course, you learn about Bruce Willis in the very last scene of the movie. So it ends, credits roll, and I'm just like, kind of shocked, like, but but the twist never happened. Um, but I like this movie. I really liked um, the, who plays the mom? Tony Collette. Yeah, I really liked her. Um, I don't think it's like, the best movie of all time. But, like, it's engaging, I think. I think it's the right... I mean, I was covering my face, but I also can't take any type of scary. So I think it's, like, a good mix of, like, sentimental and thrilling. Um, I think the actors did decently. Um, it was, like... I have some things about it that I didn't like, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. Lars. It's very blockbustery, I find. Don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you? Um, here's my... I would never have nominated this for Best Picture. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. I also like... I get that this is an unpopular opinion. A hot take, if you will. I hate Haley Joel Osment. I actually think he's a terrible actor. Oh, I did. I thought that was the popular opinion. Oh, I know a lot of people who like think he's like the greatest child actor of all time. Which, uh... no... I Shirley would. Temple. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I uh, young Anakin, let's be clear. <laughs> um, I hate Haley Joel Osment. I just think he's like a bad actor. Um, and he's just very obnoxious in this movie with his stupid glasses. Um, I don't... I So I had also never seen this before. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I knew the twist... <laughs> And I guess that was fun because I just got to notice all the parts like before where it hints at the twist. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he's not in the mirror. Oh, no one's actually talking to him, though he talks at a lot of people. That's nice. <laughs> I don't know. I would not have nominated <laughs> this for Best Picture. Like, it's I, fine. Yeah. I I think it's the movie I liked the least this year. Really? Oh, it's the really? one I gave. It's the only one I gave three and a half stars. I think it, I like this. The second best. Well, yeah. well, we'll get to the end soon. And we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out. It's of I haven't rated the Green Mile yet because we just watched it last night. But I think this is the only one I've given three and a half. Everything else I gave four or above. Mm. 
I, I I think this is the best looking movie of all of them. I actually love the cinematography in this movie. I love how it captures autumn in the northeast. It captures the the leaves scraping across the concrete and the asphalt. Oh God! Um, and it gives that that like spooky you know Halloweeny feel. Um, and I love like there, there's a scene where um, Haley Joel Osment and his mother are having this argument about this bumblebee pin that's gone uh, bumblebee pin that's gone missing um and they're sitting at their, their kitchen table with the way it's filmed that like the camera sort of like moves it's it, it, it there's no cut but like it, it sort of moves from one person talking to the other and it, it you almost feel like a ghost watching their conversation oh. and the camera sort of i feel like floats like a ghost through a lot of this in my shaman is a genius but i also think this movie's kind of all sizzle and no steak I, I think yeah. that honestly if you know the twist and you even know that if it's if it's about a kid who sees dead people you, it's really only so interesting yeah because so much of the movie is about Bruce Willis trying to figure out if this kid can in fact see dead people yeah but you already know that and so it's you're not really like learning much of a mystery yeah and I also think it takes like at l- I feel like there could have been more done with the the ghosts mm-hmm. like they kind of just, yeah once you find yeah, out no, exactly sees, like once you find out he sees dead people they like show up and they're a little spooky but it's like twice if you're not counting bruce willis yeah and it's, like it's two times like, and it's like you don't really get to learn what the kid is actually going through because you just see them like twice and you're like oh that was scary you see him more than twice okay you see like, like a hand not a lot though no 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 i agree and there's not enough like substantial interaction like, the whole thing is, is that Bruce Willis is like, well, maybe if we helped the ghosts, yeah. um, you know, they'll Which leave you alone. Is difficult, too, because the ghosts Life have lessons. been physically harassing Haley Joe Osment. So, and that's the other thing. I can't tell if that's actually the ghosts physically harassing him or if that's, like, self-inflicted or it's the bullies at school. Yeah, that's hard. Like, they never, they leave that ambiguous. I think it's supposed to be the ghosts. Well, do they ever show that the ghosts can physically touch him? No, which is why I... Well, the only thing that they would hint at that is, like, when he's trapped in the closet, mm. and the closet is, like, shaking. Yeah. So it's, like, but you can't tell if he's getting out because he's scared or because he's being hurt. Yeah. Um, I think maybe when he got out of there, something hurt, there was evidence that something hurt him. But, well, also but he maybe he hurt himself. Yeah. Because yeah. he was... Because when, when they're in the hospital, like, Tony Clint looks at his sweater and there's, like, cuts and stuff, and then she calls, like, <laughs> the mother of the kid who was, like, the child actor and was, like, tell your son to, like, keep his hands off yeah. Cole. Um, um, so I don't know. But... But, yeah, it's like, once once it's like, oh, let's help the ghost, like, they help one ghost, and that's the end of the movie, basically. Yeah. It's... There, there's And there's not... It's, like, so easy to help. Like, there's not enough sort of struggle yeah. to help. And Bruce Willis is just a sad boy. The yeah. entire movie is just a sad boy. He's a sad boy. Um, also, the ghost they choose to help is a real fucked up story. Yeah. Munchausen by proxy. Bad news. I also like knowing the twist. The first five minutes of the film are really disappointing because <laughs> like Bruce Willis gets shot in the first five minutes, and I'm and I like see that happen. And I was like, oh, if you know the twist, the movie's ruined right here. Yeah, it's like you. I feel like it would be way more interesting to like start the because then like the next scene is oh he's fine in Boston. It's like six months later he's like he's oh. in Philadelphia. Sorry, whatever. <laughs> What They're both doing? terrible cities. What has he yeah. been doing in those six months, though? Dead. That's the <laughs> question. Being dead. <laughs> just just trying to talk to people and just assuming you're listening <laughs> to them. Um, um, it took him six months to die. Yeah. 
<laughs> but but I, I think the point is, is that you're supposed to assume that he's having like a crisis of confidence in his abilities because he couldn't help the kid because the guy well, who, yeah. who shoots him is a former patient. Yeah. Are you meant to believe that the former patient could see ghosts as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's like a weird thing to have two cases of that. But that's the, that's why he takes this case. Is like he swears off of it probably because he's dead and can't take cases. Um, it's like the first person who actually interacted with him is this kid. There's not a lot of depth to this movie. No, I don't think there's like a lot going on under the surface. And, and this is like a common complaint with M. Night Shyamalan movies, but it's it's literally just like an hour and a half long Twilight Zone episode. I yeah, it you know, I, I feel like this this is better. I like I think I, I like this movie. But it, like it's better if it's like an episode of the Twilight Zone, or even if it's like a TV show. Yeah. And it's about him helping ghosts. Yeah. And then like oh, in the season, such a good show. And in the season finale, you find out Bruce Willis is dead. In the yeah. series finale, you find out he's dead. Isn't there a show like that? There's the Ghost Whisperer. There's Medium. Long Island Medium. Well, there's also one just called Medium. Yeah. There's <laughs> also the Ghost Whisperer with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. Um, there's also Ghost that's... with Patrick Swayze. The Best Picture nominee. <laughs> um, How could you not be? Yeah. Oh, so. I want to read that show now. Yeah. Um, you're here for first. <laughs> Television yeah. Networks of America, give M. Night Shyamalan a show. <laughs> no, don't Please do don't that. do that. Don't do that. That'd be terrible. Um, and it was all downhill from him. Yeah. And here. I'll just say the thing to say, like, same problems Unbreakable has. Where nothing, not enough happens. Unbreakable, it's a bad movie. Stop trying to convince me it's good people of the world. I don't um, understand this reference. Yeah, I don't know. It's a movie where Bruce Willis plays a guy who has superpowers. No, I, I know. And the, <laughs> the entire movie is him realizing that he's super strong and then like stopping one home invasion and that's the end of the movie. Oh, that's so lame. Oh, and then also, it literally... Oh my god. It, I, Mike's okay. gonna go on a screen. It ends with like title cards. It ends with, like, yeah, and then he called the police to get the bad guy arrested. It's basically how it <laughs> That's ends. Dumb. Um, That's so dumb. Anyway, this movie was nominated for Best Editing, Best Original Screenplay. Tony Collette was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Haley Joel Osment was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Lame. M. Night Shyamalan was nominated for Best Director. Very lame. And it was nominated for Best Picture. Robbed of a cinematography nomination, in my opinion. Um, all right. This last movie. The main event of our podcast. Thank God. American Beauty. Bless. Directed by Sam Mendes, written by Alan Ball, starring Kevin Spacey, Nett Benning, Thora Birch, Allison Janney, Peter Gallagher, Mina Suvari, Wes Bentley, and Chris Cooper. Yes, Lars? This was another movie that you two have not seen, but I had seen many times before. It's true. And it's about Lester Berman, a man living in middle class, middle of, I guess it's supposed to be California. I don't suburbia. Really know. Just suburbia. Any, any town USA. And he uh, leads this unfulfilling life. He works for like basically like an ad week or like advertising today kind of publication, which he hates. He hates his boss. He thinks he's gonna get fired. Um, his his daughter's a moody teen. Um, his his wife is this very materialistic realtor, um, and he's feeling generally unfulfilled. And he goes to high school basketball game because his daughter's a cheerleader and they do their little routine and he falls in love well in love and he, he he's very much turned on by her friend um and he sort of 
she sort of leads him on, and he's like, oh, I'm going to try and like be attracted to this chick. So he goes through a whole midlife crisis, starts working out, um, starts buying pot from his neighbor's son, who also just likes to film dead things and has the hots for his daughter and is just kind of filming everything his daughter does. Um, and this guy's dad is like an ex-Marine who's like very homophobic and... Or is he? Mm, well, mm. <laughs> he, yeah. is, he is. He is, but... Uh... Turns out it's because... He's also gay, but spoiler alert. Um, and this this all just kind of... It's just about sort of like materialism, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, Wrong, so, but okay. Which, which, who, who has to, does, does the pro or the con side go first? The con side goes first. The con side goes first. Wrong. Which of us wants to go first, Kathleen? <laughs> I just feel like it's going to be easier for Lars to go first. No, you guys go first. Okay. I hated this movie so much for so many reasons. Overarching reason is that it's just shallow. It's like I went through this whole phase. The thing that it teaches me about or tries to teach me about, I went through that in middle school. I'm over and done with it. I don't need this eyebrows McGee hottie pants next door filming paper bags in the breeze to tell me that the world is beautiful and so interesting. I don't need him, like, being all creepy and into some other chick to, like... It's just so pathetic. And... <laughs> and That's the point. Go on. What is the point go of on, that? Go so, on, well, no, go on. Somebody else take it. Sure? Okay, so I'm open to be convinced this is a good movie. I don't really think it's that good. I don't think it's, like, super bad. I just, like... Okay, here's my whole thing, is that I understand it's about materialism, and it's about sort of like, for, for when I first, I, after we first watched it, I was kind of like, so many life crises he goes on, there's nothing fulfilling about it, and it's kind of like grody, and it's like very shallow. I'm like, oh, that's the point. He's focusing on the wrong thing. He's focusing on his outward appearance, on getting high, on trying to sleep with his daughter's friend. He's supposed to be pathetic, and he's supposed to be sort of, you know, bad. Um... But Vince Mancini, who writes for Film Drunk, he, he wrote about actually A Wrinkle in Time, and he said that he didn't like that movie because he hates movies that try to convince you to be optimistic without ever actually giving you a good reason why. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this movie convinces you to be optimistic, but it tries to persuade you of like life's beauty, but it never gives you a reason yeah. why. Like this weird kid with really intense eyebrows just films dead shit and films paper bags flying in the wind and insists it's beautiful. And it's just like, why? And he films a homeless woman just freezing to death and he insists it's beautiful, but why? And um, this movie ends with a whole series of events that are kind of like contrived. Basically what happens is is Kevin Spacey is buying weed from his nick. His neighbor's son, Eyebrows McGee, McGee, played by Wes Bentley. Um, Career-making role for him, Eyebrows McGee. Um, Their names will be forever entwined. Um, (laughs) But uh, this guy's father is convinced that they're they're involved in his sex. They're sexually involved. Um, So he keeps going over to his place, and Kevin Spacey's being like half naked a lot because he's working out. And there's literally a scene where it's (laughs) such a ridiculous scene where it's like, 
literally Kevin Spacey is just like sitting leaned back with his shirt off because he's working out. And then um, Highbrows McGee goes to like roll a joint, but you can't see anything he's doing because it's covered by like the window pane. So his father assumes that he's filleting Kevin Spacey. Um, Good word choice. <laughs> very appropriate. Anyway. Uh, and so, but that, there, that's also a night where his daughter and his daughter's friends are home. And it's when he kind of makes a move on his daughter's friends. She kind of makes a move on him. They make a move on each other. Yeah, um, it's, it's problematic either way. <laughs> and then, like, her da- the daughter's friend has, like, always been going around at school saying how many men she slept with and stuff. Turns yeah. out that she's never slept with anyone. And so then he, he's, he's like, okay, let's not do this. This is wrong. Um, and she's just like... And he's like, how is my daughter? I forget her name. Um, Jane. 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 Yes. And she's like, oh, she's in love. And he goes, huh, really? And for whatever reason, hearing his daughter's in love just puts them at ease. And he just stares at the picture of his, him and his wife and his daughter and decides everything is beautiful. And he gets shot by his neighbor um, for being gay. But not really. Like, I, and we're, we're just meant to, to glean from that that life is beautiful. Stop being so vapid and materialistic. Just accept that life is beautiful. But, like, why? Like, what... What what does this movie teach us? Like this movie makes life look putrid. Like this, there, there's nothing about this movie that makes anything look beautiful to me. It, you, <laughs> you guys are missing the point. It's not about life being beautiful at all. <laughs> it's the opposite. It's about the opposite. It's about like the total irony in that. Is there's nothing that's I think supposed to be beautiful in this movie. It's all about the fake beauty. It's like he perceives like the young woman to. Uh, Nina Suvari's character to be beautiful, but, like, she's not actually. And, like, he perceives, like, his new car to be beautiful and his freedom to be beautiful, but none of these things are actually beautiful. It's about this, like, deep apathy and, like, the, like, degradation of, like... It's about that he just doesn't care anymore. He's stopped caring. He's reached a, like... It's like a midlife crisis that's, like, broken down to a point of, like... He's going... He's so, like, depressed that he just does not care. And it's not about, like, there is... The bag isn't beautiful. I guess the character thinks it is, but he's also, like, a teenage, like, moron. He thinks he's all, like, deep and romantic and sentimental, but he's, like, a kid who has no idea what he's doing. He thinks, like, he just tapes his neighbors, and he's, like, a pervert. Kind of. I mean, I guess you could say, oh, that's so sweet of him, but he is, like, a pervert. (laughs) Everyone in this movie is, like, perverted. And, like, everyone in this movie is, like, wrong. And it's, like... I can go on like this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love this. Movie. I just don't get that. At there's, all. there's like it's like, it, th- this movie reminds me a lot of Blue Velvet, David Lynch's film, and it's like mm-hmm. David Lynch and even in Twin Peaks, but especially in Blue Velvet, it's sort of about this like underlying like darkness in like what appears to be normal middle class America, and it's like, um, and in, in David Lynch's worlds that like underlying darkness is just like the seediest underbelly of society is hidden within your like middle class every day whereas in this one it's just like no Lester Burnham Kevin Spacey's character you're not special you're you're just like a jack off and it's like he like quits his job and like blackmails his boss and like thinks he's top shit and he's, he tells his wife to like go fuck herself and he like thinks he's top shit because he just doesn't give a damn anymore but it's, like, pathetic. Everyone in this film is, like, completely pathetic. Yes. No one in this film is, like, redeemable. 
That is correct. Right. And that's why I think it's like brilliant. Is is it's not it's not about them being redeemable. It's about the like underlying futility and it's like so palpable throughout this film. So uh, I, I I get that. Yeah. But but so there are like three things that stand out to my mind where I'm just like I don't know if I buy that idea though because there's the scene where uh, Kevin Spacey and Annette Benning are, are kind of like making out or whatever and then this like glass of wine almost spills on her couch and she's like stop trying to have sex with me you're gonna ruin the couch and he's like you kidding me this is what you care about is the couch and uh, what happened to the girl who used to run up on, on the roof and like flash the news copter what happened to the girl who blah, blah, blah. and it's just like so there's that there's a scene where eyebrows maybe he comes over when Mina Suvari and Jane Burnham are hanging out. Um, I love how we just mix and match names on this. Um, and, and there's this whole scene where, I, I forget what happens, but someone gets pissed off. His dad wants to throw him out of the house. Yeah. His dad wants to throw him out of the house, and they're like, let's, let's run away to New York. And she's like, no. Like, that's so dumb. You're just going to go? And it's like, you don't understand because you're, you're so ordinary. And so small and, and so sad. And you, you're not freaks like us, is basically what he says. And then there's the whole ending monologue where he's just like, I remembered, you know, going to the carnival with Janie and Lynette Benning and, and how, how beautiful that Carol, was. Carolyn. Carolyn. Um, and so there are those, like, three scenes where it seems like it's trying to make a point about sort of, like, you know, bourgeois... Like repressed bourgeois romance and sexuality, and I like that's what like those parts are what makes me think it, it thinks it's making a point and not being completely ironic with the beauty part. I do think you're meant to feel deep empathy for characters. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, do I don't think disagree. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, like yes, but I don't think that it exists. There, there is no one in this film that I think is is irredeemable. Or meant to be completely irredeemable. Uh, except maybe <laughs> the real estate king. <laughs> so handsome. Um, is, is, yeah, I, I do think you're supposed to... You are supposed to sympathize with everyone in this film at a point or another. I Yeah, I think that's yes, true. Yeah, I think you're meant to, but I... My thing is, like, I didn't. I don't, who, who did you not sympathize like for? Like, any of them. What? I hated all of them. Even, even <laughs> Mina Suvari's character, she has like the, all the best lines in the movie. She though. does. She's <laughs> Betty has a big dick. I just like the way she's said. That's the, the, <laughs> the opening lines of this movie. It's like I need an actual father, not some so whatever who's gonna spray his shorts every time one of my friends come yeah. over. What a lame-o. <laughs> it's like my god, this is so nineteen ninety nine. Also, the hair means so far. The hat she wears in that one scene, where it's like a bucket hat, but it's like purple and like fuzzy. <gasps> I love those. Those are great. That's the right 1990s. I just like again like that whole like utility is something that I, I like very clearly remember being into that. Maybe I would have liked this movie in the seventh grade because that's when I had my futility phase, and then I grew out of it. Yeah. And it's like, I, I feel like this came out the same year Fight Club came out. Ugh. And while I don't agree with, like, Fight Club's 
philosophical message per se. I feel like Fight Club does a better job portraying middle class ennui than this does. Like, I feel like it makes it feel like more of a slog and, like, because to me it's like, I I feel like, because, I'm not just talking about Fight Club, but it's like, Fight Club is about how, like, you know, and I don't agree, it's like this very Nietzschean idea where it's like modern comforts have sort of um, replaced the need for, like, caveman-like and visceral behavior and we are becoming sort of, like, weaker and unfulfilled be- and because of it. Whereas I feel like this is just, like, um, you know, we, we grew up and got jobs, so now we can't smoke pot anymore. I feel like it's kind of the depth of its commentary. But I also think American Beauty is, like, more um, inclusive in its message. Fight Club, I feel like, is very... It's very male-focused. Right, it's, like, no, male no, of a certain age, whereas I feel yeah. like American Beauty encompasses, like, the ultimate irony and futility of the entire American middle class. Because it's like, you get the children, you get like the wife, um, and you and you get the Lester Burnham, who's just like, yeah, he's not like a Tyler Durden. <laughs> no, no. He's very like a, it's, it's not that he, yeah, it's not that he wants to, it's, 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 yeah, it's hard to explain. It's not like he feels like lost. It's just he stopped caring. Mm. Okay. Well, this I, movie... What were you say? I just, I really like this movie. Sure enough. This movie won like everything. Actually, no. Yes. It won Everyone likes this movie. You guys are wrong. Actually, didn't win as much as I thought it would. Um, it won the big one. It did. It, it was nominated for editing, for score, for cinematography... One original screenplay, Annette Benning was nominated for Best Actress, Kevin Spacey won for Best Actor, Sam Mendes won for Best Director, and it won for Best Picture. Do you have to get your laundry? I do. Do you want to like take a break, and then we can talk about what we think should have won? Yes. Cool. Good pause. Um, <laughs> we're going to pause and for a word from our sponsors. <laughs> One hour later, two hours later, three hours later. Can you move it along? I'm all out of time cards. It's the year 2000. A new millennium, but not really. <laughs> um, you're a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You get a ballot with American Beauty, The Cider House Rules, The Green Mile, The Insider, and The Sixth Sense on it. How do you vote? We'll start with Lars. This is easy. This is a hands-down <laughs> win. It clearly should go to American Beauty. Okay. All the Why? other movies are like... Maximum a four. Even all the ones that I said would get a four, you were like, eh, they're more like a three. Like, it clearly goes to American Beauty. It's like universally considered one of the greatest movies of this year. It's like, I guarantee the sixth sense does not like, no one's like, oh, that should have beat American Beauty. (laughs) Everyone would probably be like, that was nominated for Best Picture. But Bruce Willis is dead at the end. And that would be like everything everyone has. Like, I, I, I think this is an easy decision. Kathleen? The Green Mile. Oh. Why? Oh. I just enjoyed it the most out of all of them. <laughs> I do not agree with the American Beauty. Yes, I will also pick The Green Mile. Um, I, I, I didn't think this was a. Wrong. <laughs> Look, the ghost trying to play the piano. I did not think this was a terribly impressive um, group 
of mm-hmm. Best Picture nominees. Mm. I thought it was a really, really weird group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I picked the weirdest movie. Um, <laughs> and, and when I, th- I think it, it's sort of like an interesting capper to sort of the 90s as like this, you know, sentimental nostalgic era. The interesting thing is that usually there's a lot of parallel between who gets nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars and um, for the Best Pictures, because there's drama, musical, and comedy for Golden Globes. Only two movies in common were nominated for both awards. And I, I looked at all the years we did, and that's the biggest discrepancy for all these years. Mm. Um, only American Beauty and The Insider were nominated for Golden Globe. Green Mile, Sixth Sense, and American Beauty were not. Or, I mean, I mean, and and uh, House Rules were not. Um, so, it's just, I feel like this is just a weird year for movies. It is. I would not have... I don't know what I would choose instead, but there are like two to three of these that I would not have nominated. It's like lo- looking at the, li- the like what was nominated for the Golden Globe um, drama. You had American Beauty, The End of the Affair, The Hurricane, The Insider, and The Talented Mr. Ripley. I've never seen The Talented Mr. Ripley. I'm told it's very good and people talk about it. And musical or comedy, I've analyzed this being John Malkovich, Man on the Moon, Notting Hill, and Toy Story 2. I feel like being John Malkovich is also a movie a lot of people talk about. Eh, overrated. You're just not a Charlie Coffin fan. Who's that? The guy who wrote Being John Malkovich. What else has he done? Um, adaptation and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, you're right. I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a him fan. That's yes. correct. Um, have you seen her, though? He also did her. Oh, I do like her. Yes. Um, so just just a weird year in general um, for stuff that could have been nominated. Fight Club's a good thriller. I don't really like its Nietzsche message, but it's a good thriller. The Matrix also came out this year. The Matrix is great. Um, That's one I would nominate. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'd nominate Fight Club. I Maybe know. over, like... I'm not convinced I would either. If it was, like, nominate the Cider House Rules or nominate Fight Club, I'd pick Fight Club instead. Yeah. Um, clearly, Wild Wild West should have been not... <laughs> uh, what's Not to Love. And like, I haven't seen Toy Story 2 in a while, but... Y- you could convince me. It's honestly not a great year for movies. I've only seen like 13 movies from this year, and one of them is The Phantom Menace. Yes. So, Which was nominated for a couple Oscars. I know, I know. The soundtrack's really good, I'll give it that. Um, yeah, not, not a great year for movies. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Yeah. But it has one standout, which I feel like has been the case. Yeah, I, I feel like the thing movies. is that like... Um, Everyone seemed to agree what the best picture... Like, not in this room, certainly. But in, like, the wider Film Awards community, everyone seemed to agree what the best movie was, but no one agreed what, like, the best five movies were. Yeah. I think that's... That's fair. I'm mainstream. That makes me smart. Well, thanks for listening to the 90s. So, we're actually going to do a 90s recap episode after this, um, where we're going to kind of... Get out. Talk about the stuff... We're just going to look, look at, look at not the decade, because we didn't watch all the 90s, but just 94 to 99 as a whole, and talk about our favorite movies, or our least favorite movies, and uh, some trends and stuff we noticed. So thanks for listening. Um, stay tuned for the 90s recap episode. Yeah. I'm Mike Levito. I'm Mike Le- Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm Mike Levito. I'm on Letterboxd. This is Mary Mike. Twitter as at I'm Levito. I'm Kathleen Levito. I'm on Letterboxd at Kathleen Levito, even though I don't stay up to date that well.
And I'm Lars Levito. I mean Emerson. <laughs> and I'm also on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. Thanks for listening. Follow us on SoundCloud. Um, yes, that's it. Thank you very much. Good night, you kings of Maine, you princes of New England. Motherfucker. I think it's the other way around anyway. But thanks for listening anyway.